Those of us staying in here uh, for the next part of our service, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6. We're looking at verses 5 to 15. That scripture passage is also printed for you in the bulletin. Um, As you're turning there, um, if you were able to maybe get together with a few others for Thanksgiving this week, I wonder what the vocabulary was like around your Thanksgiving table. Uh, Specifically, if you had anyone from Gen Z around your Thanksgiving table, what your vocabulary was like. Um, One news source published an article last week entitled, Gen Z Glossary, Terms You Might Hear at the Thanksgiving Table. This article was written, I think I was a target audience, it was written for, quote, older relatives who may still want to be hip at the kids' table. And uh, so this, this, this article sort of profiled different Gen Z terms, which uh, my kids know all these, and, and I know very few of them, but, but here are a couple of the terms that were listed in this article. The first was this, it's giving, it's giving. It can be used alone, or it can be used with another word behind it. Um, so you could say, this holiday, it's giving thanks. The pecan pie, it's giving decadent. The article says, it's giving, used alone, has a positive meaning. So you could say, that vintage coat, it's giving. I can tell this is endearing me to Gen Z right now. Um, One of the other words they defined is slay, which I already knew this one, of course. Uh, Which, the article says, slay isn't a threat, but it's a compliment to describe a job well done. Someone say that your outfit, or your fit, is slaying. Um, We actually got into that exact conversation on Wednesday night with about three different generations present, and um, everyone that was younger than me already knew all these things and basically just rolled their eyes at us and laughed at us as we were talking about this, but everyone that was um, my age or older, we just felt totally lost, like we were just trying to learn another language, and it can just feel so difficult and overwhelming to like try to use these words you don't normally use that you just, you just don't even try, right? Because it just doesn't really make sense to you. Sometimes prayer can feel like that. It just feels so foreign or different. It's almost like having to speak in a different language or use words that you don't, don't normally use or just take on a persona, um, a way of being that you don't normally inhabit. And so we just don't even try. We just don't have the energy for it. And I'm guessing as you think about prayer, if you're here this morning and you're someone who considers yourself a Christian and who maybe takes your faith pretty seriously, I'm guessing that you, that you wish you knew how to pray better, and I'm guessing you wish that you did it more. And so even just us talking about prayer this morning makes you feel some degree of guilt and shame that you don't do it better or you don't do it more. And, and maybe, maybe you're just in a place where you want to want to pray. You just don't feel a desire right now. So here's the question. How do we become a people who pray more, but not just to pray more, how do we become a people who love to pray? Um, Jesus has warned us throughout the Sermon on the Mount that, that following His way is not just about checking some external boxes of obedience. So up front, we would be missing the point if we left here simply feeling pressured to like, add more prayer to our busy holiday season to-do list. That's not what Jesus is after. Um, We have consistently seen Jesus aim for the heart that is behind all of our obedience. 
Um, the religious people that he was speaking against in this day had all that external stuff nailed. Um, no one was better at external obedience than the religious leaders of Jesus' day, yet Jesus says that their hearts were far from him. And in chapter 6, which we're looking at, Jesus is speaking at the, into the three pillars of religious life, giving, praying, and fasting. And this morning, he speaks to the issue of prayer. Let me read this for us, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this word, and, and we just confess that, um, that we need to hear from you. We long to know you more, and, and not just know you more, but we long for our very hearts to be transformed. And so we can't manufacture that ourselves, but we need your Holy Spirit to come into us and to change us this morning. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so three points this morning that we'll think about this passage under. Uh, the first is the heart behind our prayer. Second, we'll look at how to pray. And third, we'll look at a warning for our prayer. So first point, the heart behind our prayer. Let's start in the negative here. Um, what's the wrong type of heart to have in prayer? The wrong type of heart to have in prayer is one that is trying to impress others with our prayer. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Very similar rationale and argumentation that Jesus used last week when he talked about our giving to the poor. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who do this thing, this obedience in public. Why? In order to be seen. Um, so it was common in this time uh, for religious people to stop what they were doing wherever they were and to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. And so... Um, that these religious leaders that Jesus was speaking about, they would just love it if they just happened to be out in public uh, when it was time to pray. Why? So that they could impress people with their public display of prayer and with their words and with how fancy it was. Jesus calls them hypocrites, which he did in the last passage as well. That was a theatrical term. It's where you pretend to be something that you're not. It's, it's someone who says one thing, but really the heart behind it is very different. Jesus goes on in verse 7, he says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. 
they think they'll be heard for their many words. Um, so these regular times of prayer throughout the day were so common that even non-Jews, even the Gentiles, would stop and pray as well. And, and, and it's, it's less clear who they would be praying to or who they'd be trying to impress with their many words. Maybe they would use these certain mechanical words going through the motions to try to impress God, maybe to try to impress some other false God, maybe to try to impress other people around them. But they were just using these empty words and kind of throwing them out there and just going through the motions. Zoom out. What was wrong with this heart behind their prayer? It was all for show. It was all for show. It wasn't about intimate communion with God. It was all to impress people. Uh, The late commentator John Stott says that these people loved themselves and therefore they loved the opportunity to parade themselves around publicly. That is sort of the image of the religious leader in this time. And that's what Jesus is speaking against. But it was all fake, is what he's saying. One of my daughters showed me a YouTube video this week of a woman that makes cakes that don't look like cakes at all, but instead they look like other real-life objects. It's really amazing. And then she'll set these cakes next to the real-life object, and you have to guess as you're watching this video which is the cake and which is the real object. Um, She made this amazing uh, flamingo pool inflatable. So it, 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 it was, it was, this cake was designed to look like a, a pink pool toy, basically, um, like an inner tube. And it, it was so, this cake was so detailed that she even, you know, like on the side of an inner tube, uh, like a pool toy where the seam comes together and that's, there's that little bit of plastic fringe that goes all the way around the edge. She added that on to this cake. It was, it was so incredible and so lifelike. Um, she also made uh, just like a red apple and she set it next to two other apples, and it, was, it had like this shiny kind of glossy um, skin on a, on, that you'd see on a red apple. And also, she put like these fake water droplets, so it looked like you had just washed the apple and set it down. And there, there's just no way you could tell it apart, but, but sure enough, uh, when, when you would cut into it, you could tell, all right, that's the fake, that, that's the one that, that's cake, and, and then the, this is the real apple, and that's the real pool float. If you and or I were to walk by these religious leaders who were standing publicly praying, um, it would look impressive. It would look and sound like the real deal. But what Jesus is doing is he's, he's seeing through all of that, and he's saying that the, that the heart behind it is not a heart that longs for God. It's a heart that's just trying to impress others. It was all fake. If, if the wrong heart in prayer is, is a heart that's just all for show, just trying to impress other people or maybe to impress God with our words, what's the right heart behind our prayer? Um, the right heart to have in prayer is one that wants intimacy with God more than anything else. Why? Because we love being with God. Verse 6 shows us what this kind of heart looks like in prayer. Jesus says, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, Think about how intimacy works in human relationships. Relationships where there's just genuine mutual love for each other. Um, a, A healthy marriage is where husband and wife are best friends. And they just love being together. It's not for show. It's not to impress. 
There's not some difference between their public persona and their private lives together. They just love being with each other. They love to talk to each other. They love spending time together. It's, it's all based on a shared love. Or think about a great friendship where you just really enjoy being with the other person. It's, it's just mutual enjoyment of that person. No matter what you're doing, you can just sit and talk and laugh for hours. You just love being together. When God has really gotten a hold of your heart, and when you really love Him, you will increasingly long for this type of secretive, behind-closed-doors, one-on-one, intimate prayer with God. And he mentions this reward. What's the reward? It's the very act itself. It's the experience of intimacy with God. It's getting to be close with God. Um, When this is the heart behind it, Um, Prayer becomes less about asking God for stuff and more about this experience of just being with Him. Uh, Dan Doriani says that true prayer seeks to commune with God, not to extract benefits from Him. Uh, Think about, again, two people in love, they just love being together. It's not about what they can get from the other person. Or a really good friendship, a healthy friendship is about just where you enjoy being together. It's not about networking or some potential benefit that you could get out of that friendship. And guess what this intimacy with God will do for us? It will actually recalibrate all the other intimacies that we experience in our lives. Um, Intimacy with God in prayer is the most intimate experience for a human. Uh, When we're really pouring our hearts out to Him, really seeking His presence in prayer, that's the most intimate thing. And when we experience that, that the lesser intimacies of this world begin to fall into place. Uh, maybe it's the hunt for intimacy through images online. Suddenly becomes less and less appealing. Um, even intimacy within marriage, it, it can begin to be enjoyed for the great gift that it is without it being seen as something ultimate. Why? Because intimacy with God in prayer is even better. Um, This intimacy with God in prayer can also give us a healthier framework for our friendships. And when we have our deepest needs and longings met by God in prayer, then we're really, when we're really known and loved by Him and we feel that, we no longer put crushing expectations on our friendships. Uh, The wrong heart behind prayer is to be phony and to just want to impress others. The right heart behind prayer is to want intimacy with God more than anything else. That's the first point. Second point, Jesus tells us how to pray. And and, and regardless of of how familiar you are with the Bible or with the church, you likely recognize that prayer in verses 9 through 13. Oddly enough, we didn't pray the Lord's Prayer in the day. I'm talking about the Lord's Prayer. That's funny, we usually pray that. Um, And we could spend an entire teaching series going through the Lord's Prayer. We're not going to do that. Um, let's just summarize it in six words. Let's summarize the Lord's Prayer with six different words. The first word is this. This prayer is childlike. It's childlike. How does it start? Our Father. And that's really easy to glance over, but that is key in setting the tone for the prayer. Prayer is a conversation between a child and their father. Um, What does this mean? It means that this is family language. It's intimate language. It's in the context of a secure, loving relationship. So prayer is first and foremost a child talking to their father. 
It's childlike first. Secondly, it's God celebrating. God celebrating. Hallowed be your name. Uh, this is an acknowledgement for how great God is and, and, and that we think that everyone should recognize us and everyone should know His greatness. It's almost like reading a great book or hearing a great song or watching a great show where you just think, people need to read this book or people need to hear this song and so you instantly share it with others. Um, prayer celebrates who God is, it, what He's like, and it wants others to know this, that His name would be hallowed, it would be set apart known, loved, revered, that others would understand and see and recognize just how great He is. It's childlike and it's God celebrating. Third word is surrender. Surrender. The prayer says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. Um, This is not a prayer that insists on its own way. Which this is a tough one for us. Uh, sometimes our prayers can be attempts to convince God to write the story that we want Him to write. And it's rarely intentional, and it's not wrong to ask God for things or for outcomes, but if you in your life experience a high degree of control and autonomy, where basically you can kind of get what you want, and you kind of have every resource at your disposal, it's really easy for prayer to just become an extension of this, we begin to try to use it as a tool to control and to try to write the story that we want to see written. God, please get me into this school. Please get me this job. Please give me this relationship. Please help this other person to understand things the way I understand it. It, it can turn into a prayer of, um, God, here's how the story needs to go. Um, Is the heart behind our prayer a heart of surrender that truly prays, not my kingdom, not my will, but your kingdom and your will? Even if that means I don't get into the school or I don't get the job or that other person never changes their perspective. It's a prayer of surrender. Um, Tim Keller says this. He says it is asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives Emotions, desires, thoughts, and commitments. It's a surrender of every area of life to him. That's the third word, surrender. Fourth word, provision. Provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Um, This is not a prayer for the dependent or the self-sufficient. It's a prayer for the needy. Um, There are some in our community who literally pray this prayer when they wake up. God, I don't know where my meals will come from today. Would you please provide? What does it do for us? It reminds us that everything we have, like we talked about, everything we have comes from God. It's not from us. Um, We haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. Uh, We're not self-sufficient. We're not self-sustaining. We're not independent. Everything we have comes from God. It is a gift, and He is our provider. And this idea of provision is also an invitation for us to ask God for things. And it could be easy for us to sort of get in our heads about that and think like, I don't know if this is like an okay thing to ask God for or not. We sort of feel guilty about it, so we're hesitant to ask someone to pray for something because we sort of qualify a lot of our needs or burdens as like first world problems that maybe don't deserve to be prayed about. And that's a good thing to wrestle through, but maybe even in thinking through material things, Proverbs 30 could be a helpful guide to us. This is Proverbs 37 through 9. You can mark that down and look at it later, but... 
In Proverbs 30, it says this. This is a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. It's Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. It's a prayer that asks just for enough for today, for right now. That's what I need, God. Just enough for today, for right now. Nothing less, nothing more. It's a prayer of provision. Fifth word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. It says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Um, This is not a prayer for those um, who have it all together and have figured out the whole following Jesus thing. This is a prayer for people whose lives are inconsistent and messy and time and time again need to be forgiven for doing the wrong thing. And at the same time, it recognizes that this forgiveness that God has extended to us has to be extended to other people. More on that in a moment. Again, Keller says this about repentance. He says, our prayer life is a place where we should examine our lives and find the sins that otherwise we would be too insensitive or busy to acknowledge. That's what happens in prayer, where we we have that quiet, uninterrupted space of really honestly examining our hearts before the Lord, even searching for the ways in which we've been disobedient to Him, the the ways in which we have sinned and, and bringing those before Him and asking for forgiveness. That's the fifth word. And the sixth word is help. Help. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is an acknowledgement that, that we can't keep ourselves out of trouble. Um, but, but we need God to protect us from doing what we know we're capable of doing. God, don't even let me be tempted. Um, don't let the evil one near me. Why not? Because I don't trust myself in those situations. Help me. Six words. Childlike, God-celebrating, surrender, provision, forgiveness, help. Do you see that this is not a prayer for proud people? Um, This is a prayer for needy, dependent people which is the complete opposite of the proud religious people who were praying publicly in order to impress others. And behind all of this is verse 8 where Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, this is almost the image of a young child walking downstairs first thing in the morning in their PJs with a beautiful mess of bedhead and sleepy eyes and they walk into the kitchen to mom and dad and they ask for breakfast. And as a parent who knows your child, you know the drill. You already knew they were, they were going to wake up. You knew they were going to need food. You already had the food for them. You're ready to give them the food. For us in our house, my youngest comes down every morning. She asks for one of those little uh, Danimal yogurt smoothies. We're ready for them. We've got them locked and loaded. Boom, we're ready. She walks down the stairs. We know what she needs before she even asks. God knows what you need before you ask him for the thing that feels so pressing and desperate. He already knows you need it. Do you see how freeing that is? It's almost like that prayer becomes this invitation to just come and be with your Father. To not get caught up in making sure you ask for all the right things in just the right way. He knows what you need. He knows how much that thing you need. He knows when you need that thing. He knows if you need that thing. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to get it wrong. Just come and be with your Father in prayer. 
Jesus tells us the heart about the heart behind our prayer. He tells us how to pray. But then there are these few very challenging verses at the end of the passage that give us this warning for our prayer. That's the third point, a warning for our prayer. Look at verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus says some really hard things uh, that really kind of push us on our heels. We have to really think about what he's saying. Is he saying that our forgiveness with God is based on the, the degree to which we forgive others? No. We don't earn our forgiveness from God by the degree to which we forgive others. That's not what he's saying. But he is saying that these things are very much related to one another. John Stott puts it this way. He says, This certainly does not mean that our forgiveness of others earns us the right to be forgiven. It is rather that God forgives only the penitent. And, the one, and that one of the chief evidences of true penance is a forgiving spirit. Think about it this way. If we are truly broken over our own sin and we are seeking God's grace and forgiveness, then we will be much more likely to be forgiving and gracious of others when they sin against us. But it all begins on the degree to which we are truly broken over our own sin in and of ourselves. And how does that tie in with the whole prayer? Um, the prideful heart of the religious leader would be so reluctant to forgive others. Rather than forgiving others, what would they be tempted to do? Look at them in pride and judgment and hold it over their head. They, they were not broken over their sin. Uh, they were proud. Their whole life was about building up their image to feel better than those around them. But what? But the humble one... The dependent one, the needy one, has a big view of their own sin. They're broken over their own sin, and they just feel desperate for God. This is a warning for our prayers, is to extend the same grace to others that God has shown to us. All right, let's, let's land the plane with just some practical wisdom for how to pray. And this is just from a compilation of, of different sources. The first is this. This is practical advice for praying. The first is this. If you struggle with what to pray, with content, um, use this Lord's Prayer as a model. Uh, kind of like we're talking about. You don't have to pray it word for word, but let it give you some categories to shape your prayer. So if you struggle with what to pray, use the Lord's Prayer as a model. That's the first thing. Secondly, it can be really distracting if you're thinking about like keeping track of time and like not getting distracted and you have the next thing to do. Everyone's super busy, right? And this actually came up in our men's small group this week. Uh, but set a timer on your phone. Set a timer on your phone so you're not obsessively checking the time and you're distracted about getting lost and, not for, and forgetting to do the next thing. Put a timer on your phone, set it aside, and just get lost in prayer until the timer goes off. It might be for five minutes, might be for ten minutes, might be for twenty minutes, might be for an hour. Maybe it's before school. Maybe it's before you go to bed at night. You can figure out the details, but just set a timer on your phone and set it aside so you're not worrying about the time. That's the second thing. Um, third thing, write out prayer requests, different prayer requests on note cards and just keep a stack of note cards with your Bible or wherever you sit to, to read and 
to have time with the Lord. Um, it, it can be something, just, just a thought or a prayer request or something you want to give thanks for or some things you want to be thinking about in your own life. And use those note cards to pray and flip through a couple of note cards while you're praying. It, it can give you some structure to pray, but also uh, kind of give room for you to kind of see where that leads during your time of prayer. Fourth, prayer walk. Prayer walk. Get outside, spend time alone or with a friend, walking and praying even out loud. Uh, being out in creation can stir you up to pray more. Physically moving can help you stay focused in prayer. This is something that we've actually done as neighborhood groups, as a church before. Prayer walk. Fifth and last practical thing. Remember the us. Remember the us. Um, it, it, the, the language of the Lord's Prayer is all first person plural. Us and we and our. The Lord's Prayer is a communal prayer. So pray with others. And maybe the, sort of the built-in way to do that is to pray with your neighborhood group. To pray with your women's small group, your men's small group. Maybe grab a few others that you know like to pray and to pray with them on a regular basis. That will actually help your personal, individual, secret prayer time that this passage talks about. It can be such a deeply personal, intimate thing, but the more that we, we talk about it with each other and pray with each other, it, it can be an encouragement to us personally. All right, so zoom out. Let's go back to that original question. How can we want to want to pray? That's even more important than all the specifics of advice. How can we want to want to pray? It's been said that we make time for what we love. And if that's true... What will spark a love in us that motivates us to make time for prayer? Um, that will happen when our hearts are captivated with Jesus. Um, he's the one that makes our intimacy with the Father possible. Because if left to us, our sin separates us from God. It breaks that intimate relationship. But Jesus came to restore us back into relationship together with the Father. And He did so by taking all of our sin and all of its punishment on Himself and dying for us. Um, our sin deserved death, but Jesus stepped in and died in our place. That's what happened on the cross. And why did all that happen? Because He loves you. He did it out of love. And when that truth hits our hearts, when God's love for us shown in Jesus on the cross really sinks in, then we'll want to pray. Then we'll want this intimacy with God. And this is the very thing that's on offer to you this morning. Won't you receive it by faith? Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a gift it is to be able to talk to you. And um, it's, it's hard for us to get our minds around the fact that you, you love to hear us talk to you. You love to hear your children talk to you, and that's the case because you love us. And so, Father, you know where we're at this morning. And rather than us leaving here and, and, and just feeling like we need to be better prayers or with some tips and tricks of how to pray more, Father, we want to leave here with a greater love for you and a deeper heart-level understanding of how loved we are in Jesus. And we confess that, that even that is a gift for you. We can't make that happen. So Holy Spirit, please do your work in us this morning that we might know your love 
and we might love you more. And would you even give, a, give us a taste of that as we come to the table? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take just a moment or two and silently reflect on what we've heard as we prepare to meet God at the table.